AI as a field, it's really interesting and exciting because if you zoom all the way out, it looks like this exponential curve. But then if you look more deeply, it's kind of this like curve where you get a breakthrough and then you plateau a bit and you get a breakthrough and you plateau and then you get another breakthrough. And so it's, and, and then the breakthroughs are happening faster and faster, but it's sort of, um, it's a story of, of, of multiple breakthroughs. Okay, so now where are we at today? We're at a point where I think we're starting to see AI do some pretty magical things. So if you mm -hmm. look at large language models or these large diffusion models, mid-journey, stable diffusion, Dolly 2, et cetera, um, look at Whisper, you look at all these systems, they not only are able to understand a lot of this data. So we had been at the point where we could understand images and videos and audio and text, et cetera. But now we can actually generate very convincing data quite easily. You know, we have now mm -hmm. image generation capabilities. We have text generation capabilities. Uh, we have um, we now have video generation. Um, there's a lot of very exciting research that show these sort of very convincing short GIFs um, using AI. You have audio generation, of course, which has been there. And so one of the ways I frame this in terms of just the history of the internet is that, you know, web 1.0 was read. Web 2.0 was read and write. Um, I'm going to skip over what everyone calls web 3. And then hey, now, no. <laughs> <laughs> now you have um, read, write, and then computer read and computer write. And so I think it's this huge moment in computing um, because now you have these systems that can that can generate and understand in this um, in this very scalable way, but we're we're at this incredible point, um, and uh, and I think we're at a point where finally, you know, people have talked about AI as a platform technology for so long, and I think we're finally at a point where you're actually seeing that play out, where the sort of level of innovation on top of these AI systems is mm -hmm. just is just absolutely astronomical. What would you give as like advice to founders who are building AI startups today? Obviously, we think the opportunity is very big. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this, they're going to be, I think, you know, I, I mean, I honestly think we're going to see a tsunami of just incredible, you know, breakthrough products and, and, and startups coming in the, in the next few years. Because, um, you know, many of the best and brightest engineers and entrepreneurs in the industry are, are oriented towards this now. Um, and look, like every kid, you know, coming out of college is going to want to work on this kind of thing. So it's going to be, you know, or just, you know, this and a small handful of other things. So it's, it, there's going to be an incredible, uh, kind of opportunity here. I think a lot of this, like, you know, any individual startup has a hard time fighting these big kind of political battles or narrative battles. I, I think the single most important thing is to basically just present things as a fait accompli, right? And so like, an actually, you know, just like everything else in startups, an actual working system mm -hmm. <laughs> is like much harder to argue with, mm -hmm. um, you know, than some sort of abstract idea or proposal. Um, and so I think everybody who basically builds anything right now is really contributing in a positive way in that sense. And, 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 the, and the more of that, the better. Yeah, so AI ethics, you know, it's really interesting because AI ethicists are treated really badly and it's not on, you know, like um, you've seen how big companies build up ethics departments and then like there may be a lot of scandals around the ethicists spoke out and they got fired and they got treated terribly, you know, at the same time, kind of this group influences the discord with a very particular type of approach, which is, you know, almost that which leads to a harmful act is in itself harmful. You know, it's similar in a way to the logic, and I'm not comparing this directly, that means that Islamic scholars in Saudi Arabia say that women can't drive because they'll do bad things because they clearly is it. So it's called blocking the means, Sadal Dalai. That's what happens when you make decisions under uncertainty. So there's two types of decision-making. One is decision-making under risk, when you know the variable outcomes and you do an expected utility calculation. And that's when things are stable. When you have technology as powerful as this, you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen. 
there's a million things that can happen. Like people ask me, what do you expect to be made out of stable diffusion? I'm like, I don't know. It's a primitive, you know, that people use in unexpected ways when it goes out like this. So when you're doing decision-making under uncertainty, which is like what we did under COVID and things like that, you've changed something called regret minimax. You minimize for maximum regret. And it's calculations of what could go wrong versus what could go right. Because companies are not incentivized to put technology out there. So when you look at the LLM kind of code of ethics that was released by Cohere, AI21, and OpenAI, it basically says that all of these models should be closed forever because they're too dangerous for normal people to have. Right. Mm-hmm. And because of the concentration of these models, well, basically in California um, and London in DeepMind, it's basically then comes down to them because nobody else can train the models. Like India's fastest supercomputer is 160 A100s. We've got 4,000 as a private company for our core class, but we've got access to many more. You know, like that's crazy. India is a country of 1.6 billion people, but they can't train these models. They have to rely on others to have that technology transfer. So the entire discussion has been focused on what could go wrong versus what could go right, and also around kind of a very Western secularized viewpoint, as opposed to some of the more broad viewpoints, which can vary from utilitarian to more kind of an Islamic law maslaha, which is public interest and other things and different moral frameworks. Because like if you bring technology to third world countries, it can be used for ill. You know, like we've seen even in certain uh, dictatorships, computer vision technology is being used to round up people and jail them. Does that mean we should put computer vision technology out there? No. You know, this image technology is out there and people said, what if you make it open source, bad guys will get them. The reality is the bad guys have thousands and thousands of A100s and supercomputers, and they're making these models to influence elections. So it's a complex topic that unfortunately has kind of almost been self-appointed. And the technology is so powerful that we have to ask ourselves a question, like who makes the decisions on this? But it's like the infrastructure for the future that obviously we will use everywhere. But imagine if all the roads were gated and controlled by private corporations. That doesn't feel right, does it? Think about the internet. Like one of the things that people said about the internet, and then they said it about streaming, was that there would you would be able to enjoy this personalized content mm. that really is based on your inputs mm-hmm. and and all of and then you know like all the purists and the hyper analytical like no that's not right there should only be one ending to a movie and that whole right. debate right. and now we're all of a sudden presented with it mm-hmm. and this whole the, the this whole notion of Mark called it the Adderall fueled sort of world we're in right now you know a big huge part of that is that we're in a computer-centric world. And the whole notion of computers was defined by like basically too many significant digits for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why even something like autocorrect really pisses people off because autocorrect is, is not perfect and it's guessing. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the, it, the reason it works is because most of the time it's guessing and no human would have guessed the autocorrect sequence that it ended up with. That was sort of the basics of a machine learning kind of thing. Right. And so now we're, we're really breaking the, the society's model of computing. Yeah. And so yeah, I do think Mark, pointed, Mark said that, you know, there'll be these ones that are very fact-based. And I, I actually think that a, another way to say it is there are going to be very boring things where AI helps be a super grammar checker or it summarizes one existing document or five existing documents and finds or compares yeah. two documents. These are all things that we've had programmatic algorithmic codes to do, just not as well. Like if this continues, look, GPT-6, GPT-7, you could start to get into Einstein territory. Right. 
right? And, and, and then start, you just want to pause and like think about that for a second. Like, because what would it mean if you had like an AI that was like as smart as Einstein? And of course, the answer is you would like get fundamental breakthroughs in physics and math and chemistry mm-hmm. and biology. You would be able to, you know, in theory, at that level of intelligence, you've got something that could cure cancer. You've got something that could like, you know, develop all kinds of new materials. Uh, it could solve the energy crisis. And then if you if you bump it up a level further to IQ 170, 180, 190, you know, who knows what the thing can come up with. Um, and so th- th- this is like this super high ups. And I, I look, I, I can't, I, I can't, pr- you know, I can't, I can't predict with certainty mm-hmm. this is where we're going. But if this technology is allowed to develop, like we're, we're going, we are, humanity is going to have thought partners, right, that are going to be a dramatic up leveling of the kinds of things that could be done in the world. Um, yeah. and, th- and then you just basically say, okay, well, how do we apply that to like the problems that we deal with every day, everything, you know, and this is literally everything yeah. from, you know, malnutrition to disease to, you know, to, 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 to everything else. Um, and you're just like, wow, like we, we could be on the cusp of, a, of an incredible mm-hmm. scientific golden age. Uh, maybe one of the most important topics being discussed right now on AI safety and alignment. What is your take on the risks of a superhuman intelligence turning us into paperclip maximizers? You know, there are more and more things in the world that will be done with AIs, and it's hard to understand what's happening inside an AI. In the end, there's all sorts of irreducible computation happening inside AIs, and in the end, sort of the world will have this kind of civilization of AIs that's some kind of infrastructure of the world that is operating in these ways that we can't readily understand. And you might say, that's terribly shocking, you know, you know, how could we exist in such a situation? But the fact is, that's the situation we've been in with respect to the natural world for the whole of our existence, so to speak. The natural world is doing all kinds of computations. It's, it's doing all kinds of things. We sort of coexist with the natural world. Occasionally, the natural world throws things at us that are kind of awkward and, you know, they don't quite turn us into paper clips, but they might... Uh, you know, there might be an, an asteroid that hits that that cooks us all or whatever else. Um, it, it's, you know, different kinds of kinds of things can be thrown up by the natural world. If you say, well, what, you know, what's the natural world going to do? Can we tell what the natural world is going to do? Well, you know, natural scientists go and try and study the natural world and see what it's going to do. And we can say a certain amount about what it's going to do. But in the end, we're kind of bitten by computational irreducibility. And we can't really know everything about what the natural world is going to do. We just have to kind of watch and see how things unfold. I mean, it's kind of a, a bit of a fatalistic view, but I think it's the necessary view um, that, that one has to have. And I think in terms of AI, there are things that, you know, in the short term, in the details of technology, there are sort of goofy things that could be done that would cause trouble. But I think in the end, you know, what we have to expect is that there's kind of a civilization of AIs with which we are sort of co-evolving and coexisting, you know, just as with the natural world, there are amazingly powerful things that we can do by harnessing the natural world. So too, that will be the case with, with you know, the, the computational world and, and AI. And there are things where it will do things we don't like. What is the AI in the metaverse? Is it the metaverse of meta, where there's no genitals or legs, you know? Uh, or is it one which is more dynamic, where you can create anything and it's open as the basis? I think it's probably going to be the latter. I think you'll use this for your metaverse type things. I think you'll use this for your creation type things. And when but, you say you use this in a metaverse, the way I'm picturing it off the top of my head is instead of an artist, you know, uh, using some 3D tools, generating the landscape and the world you live in, using AI as an example. And, and prompts. And prompts be- uh, or some sort of like manifestation of a text prompt to basically generate the world around you. Is that like maybe like one manifestation of how this plays out? 
Yeah, so, you know, we have architecture models that build 3D kind of entities, and you will have a variety of different things around this, you know? So you'll be able to build like a movie set. And like we partnered with Eros in India, for example, for the Bollywood data sets. So you'll be able to create a movie set and then say, I want Shah Rukh Khan there and I want to meet the Bachelor there, you know, I want them to dance. And you'll be able to do things like that. So, and again, it's this ready player. That's one thing I've noticed with Stable Diffusion. Uh, you know, we come from India and the data set is just so rich. Like it, it's it, it's so much more culturally diverse and rich than anything else I've used. And it just, it blows you away because we think we have a very narrow cultural context and then you realize that that's not true. Like, you know, you're able to like actually look at this and say, okay, Shah Rukh Khan in this setting, in this place, and it gets it, which is amazing. Yeah, and it gets it in a one-shot way, but it's actually going to be used in a multi-shot way to do compositional analysis. So today we had a group out of Japan create Japan Diffusion because if you use the word salary man in a Western context, you'll get like someone getting a salary as opposed to a very depressed Japanese individual, you know? And so they created a Japanese language encoder and trained it, and in a couple of days, now it's a Japanese model. But what's going to happen is that every country, a culture, company will have their own little tiny models that they're their own search engines that they use internally and then externally. And this is the real use of it. Can you compress information into knowledge? And then can you provide it in the appropriate context? So it's almost like wisdom that you output to create rich new experiences. So the idea of a single set is there's a single AI that kind of goes rogue and like does whatever it wants, right? Um, the, the, all, the, all the scenarios we've been talking about have that characteristic. Specifically, a single AI that is not opposed by another AI that's trying to stop it from doing those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and so one, and this is a, you know, this is a very serious kind of counter argument to the doomers is if you, if, if you're worried about a single AI going crazy and doing things, there are two possible answers to that. One is not have that single AI. The other is have many AIs, mm -hmm. right? So you don't live in a world in which a single one is able to just do everything. And in, and in fact, you could have other AIs that basically where their entire mission in life is to defend humanity or, or whatever other scenario you right. want. Right. Right. And so, and so, so if one goes rogue, you send, an, you send another one to hunt it down. Um, this, this goes back to this thing. And, and again, I don't think the AI is going to run out of control, but this goes back to this thing of, of bad people doing bad things. Like the way to deal with bad people doing bad things. You know, one is obviously you outlaw the bad things and you prosecute, you, you know, you, you do all those things we could talk about, but the other is you develop defensive weapons, mm -hmm. you, you develop countermeasures. Right. Um, and so if you're worried about AI being used to develop, you know, uh, offensive weapons, you should use AI to develop defense defenses. Right. Right. Um, in, in whatever in whatever domain you're worried about. Um, and so AI should be a technology that lots and lots of good people should be able to pick up and use for lots and lots of good purposes. And, and I think that alone is a good general answer to the concern about bad people doing bad things.